welcome to Big Blend Radio's Food, Wine, and Travel Show, where we go across country and travel the world with members of the International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association. Let's go. Everybody, welcome. We are excited. Today, we are going to go on what is a magical tour of Morocco with travel writer and photographer Barbara Redding. And Barbara, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, excited. We've got your your story up on uh, blendradiontv.com, so everyone can get that in the show notes, so just check the link out there. Um, But going to Morocco, I know you've done a lot of travel writing, and um, this started out as like, oh, like a three-day stay, and you're like, why am I going all the way there for three days? It takes three days to get there. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So you kind of extended your stay a little bit. I did. And it, it was so worth it. Some of the other, I was with a, just a small group of travel writers. There were two others and they had to turn around and go back home. And they were so jealous that I you know, had the opportunity to put together a different additional trips that allowed me to stay for really three weeks. And so it was a, wow. it was great. I mean, there, you can always stay longer in places and learn more, but three weeks was a, was a great amount of time. I felt real fortunate to be able to do that. Have you been to Morocco before or anywhere in that region? I have been to Egypt, um, but had never been to Morocco. It had been on my list for a while. I had actually tried, had a trip planned during COVID with a girlfriend of mine and COVID, (laughs) they shut down the whole country. So we couldn't, we couldn't get in. That's why I was, I had it on my mind and you know, was looking for an opportunity to go. And when the, the press trip came up to uh, Tangiers, to the to the Fairmont Hotel, I just jumped on it with both feet. You're like, I'm in, I'm going. So Tangiers, now tell everybody about that region. I mean, like, let's, and the, the background behind me, so that is the Sahara Desert, right? Yes, the it is. And Sahara Desert. Exactly. And that was, wow. it was that part of the trip was was amazing. But we started, I started in Tangier, which is a fascinating city in its, you know, in its own. And during World War II, it was kind of the place where, you know, um, um, the adventurous type spies and, and um, people on the run ended up in Tangiers because it was kind of wide open. It didn't, it was kind of managed by your different European countries. And so it was considered wide open at the time. So it was kind of a wild place. And so today it still has some of the remnants, the remnants of that. And I stayed in what used to be a, or what was intended to be a palace built by an advisor to the Sultan, but the politics Ooh. changed and he was never able to finish it. And it sat there for almost a hundred years before the Fairmount company um, decided to make it into a five-star hotel. And it really is quite spectacular. It's really quite lavish. When I look at it, it's kind of things are lavish. And then at the same time, an artistic um, and attention to detail, it seems to be with everything, even the tea glasses in your photography. I was like, you know, we always drink tea in cups and sauces here. Well, today I have a <laughs> mug. So sorry. Oh, you can't even see it. But um, I have a mug of tea. But um, you, you need it if you do a lot of podcasting. But it, it it's kind of interesting to look at all the attention to detail and the colors. And then you'll go to a market, which 
we'll go, well, why isn't everything bagged and plasticky like we have, right? So it's kind of this opposite of um, experiences, it seems. Yeah, it's a very colorful place. And really throughout the whole country, I mean, some places more so. I mean, you have the backdrop of the Sahara Desert behind you, but it's um, really... Uh, you know, that that's maybe in terms of the color, that's a pretty uniform color. But everywhere else, you've got bright reds and blues and greens. And, you know, it's just a really dynamic place in terms of the colors that they use in everything from the clothing to the teacups to to the clothes that people wear. It's just a very, very colorful place, which is what, you know, I think one of the things that makes it so interesting in um, Tangiers, like all the buildings are actually painted white. It's, its nickname is the White City. But when you go to the markets, you know, there are colorful scarves and everything is is kind of so dynamic set against that white background. Yeah, you know, but the desert is like that, you know, mm-hmm. about the desert areas are like that. And then it's kind of interesting because when you have those kind of tones, then you do want to liven it up a little bit with different colors. So it's kind of Mm -hmm. interesting, but a lot of it is also even the food and the spices have that color, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that, um, and the tea, you had the tea, you did the tea. (laughs) I'm jealous about the tea. I wanted to go to Morocco specifically for the markets and the tea. Mm -hmm. I know there's camel rides and there's other places to stay and there's so much, but I want to go there for that. I mean, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people think of that first, right? I don't know, maybe not. Yeah, no, I I think the tea is 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 one of the things that people think about, and it is. Uh, I mean, Morocco is is known for that. I I don't think I really realized how <laughs> how much tea people drink, but you know, everywhere we went, that there was always tea, and that was the first thing that that they came up and asked you if you wanted it sweetened or if you wanted it you know, unsweetened. And it, you know, part of the whole, I think the way that Moroccans welcome people to their homes or their restaurants is they serve tea. And, Mm. and I found that to be a very charming um, Mm. aspect of Morocco and particularly of the Moroccan people. Mm. And so for you moving forward on this journey, there's the tea. So it's like, as soon as you like land, you have to start learning this culture immediately. Right. And that's part of being a travel journalist is okay. Now there's tea. Is there going to be tea in the next place? Or is it the whole area? You know what I mean? So you have to start picking up those customs. I mean, were you even worried? Like, am I, what about the language and getting around and did I pack the right clothes because it snowed in the Atlas mountains while you were there? So, I mean, the acclimation part of this, what was that like? Because even the markets, I've been, I grew up in, in Africa and in the markets there, like, dude, seriously, um, you, you better be able to handle everybody pressed against your body. Yes, it's, I think that's. If you're a loner and meet, meet company, go to a market. <laughs> yes, there's so much to see and smell and experience in the markets of Morocco. That that's for sure. In terms of preparation, I went in January, which is not the ideal time. I think generally in Morocco, you probably want to avoid the winter and the summer because it can be very hot. But on the one hand, being being there in January, I did need, you know, kind of a warm coat and um, maybe more clothes than you would need in, in the summer. But it was a wonderful time to go because there were so few other tourists 
And so it was really kind of, you know, a unique opportunity to, to be in places. I mean, there were still a lot of people in Marrakesh for sure. And in Fez and the markets, but not the kind of pressed together that you see in, you know, the more uh, busier times of the year. But mm. I, so I think you just kind of, you know, I looked at the temperatures. I dressed for that. I think it is a more conservative com- country than a lot of places. And so it's not the place that you're going to, you know, parade around in, you know, sleeveless tops and things like that. And as I said, it was cold. So I didn't even, <laughs> that wasn't even tempting. But um, it is a conservative country. And a lot of people, particularly once we got into the mountains and the rural areas, I mean, they're wearing the traditional uh, dress, um, men and women, some women covering their heads and faces, not not all of them. But, um, you know, it is an Arab Muslim country. And so they are conservative. One of the reasons that you realize is that you a lot of people drink tea is that they are not alcohol is not something that is consumed by many in the Muslim culture. And so tea, <laughs> tea is the drink of choice in the evening for breakfast. But they smoke, right? Don't they smoke? Well, I mean, like everybody smokes. I mean, you, you see people smoking, but it's not, I don't remember it being, you know, overwhelming. I mean, they do have, I guess you're talking about the hookah bars mm-hmm. where you can go in and, and do that. Yes. I mean, that's, that's available, but it, it didn't seem that present prevalent at oh, least like when, the tea. where I was. So the tea was the main thing. So when you were yes. there, I mean, so what about for travelers? Is like that's it. If you you like your wine at night, get over it, or can you get wine? Well, most of the restaurants that that um, you know house Western tourists do have wine and beer and some you know some hard liquor too. It's not. And one of the things I was surprised to learn that actually in Morocco, there are some vineyards in Morocco and some wineries. Apparently they were left over from, well, the, I guess when the Romans were there, many in the first century, they planted a vineyards. And then, of course, the French were very involved in Morocco over the years. And, of course, you know, the French like their wine. And so they planted vineyards as well. So it, it's not a perfect climate for wine growing. but um, I was pleasantly surprised by the by some of the wines that we had with our meals. So if you walk into a restaurant, you know, maybe mostly serving locals, you may not have access Mm -hmm. to wine. But if you're staying in a Western hotel or, um, you know, with the group, you will in most cases be able to have a drink. Well, and, you know, being a Muslim country, you also want to be very respectful. And um, it's a it's a very interesting time for us, even, you know, covering Muslim content. Um, and um, to me, I just want to just put a thing out there for folks to remember each person is individual and maybe talk to people individually and not place anything on anything. Like, you know, you know what I mean? It's a very hard thing mm-hmm. when you as a traveler, travel writer when you go to places and you see what's going on in the world, there is a compassion that comes with it. And mm-hmm. so as we go now with what's happening in Israel and everything, do you feel a, a compassion? Not, I'm not saying to pick sides or anything, because that's not at all what I mean, but there's a um, bigger scope when you travel and a bigger compassion that comes with it. When you travel of understanding that to embrace differences versus mm-hmm. the other side. 
Yes, and, and I think that Morocco as a country is one of those places that has had has a reputation for being very accepting of people of all religions and races because of, um, you know, it, it's, it's been a transit point. Europeans came, it's very close to Spain. So a lot of people came over the, from, uh, from Spain and from mm-hmm. France. So you have a lot of Europeans and then you also have the original Berbers who were there right. oh, before yeah. The, uh, basically the, the, what they call, talk about the Arabs who came from, uh, from the East and, and settled in Morocco as well. So it has a big, big mix of, of religions and people and, and a strong history of being very tolerant. And I thought that was one of the more interesting things about, um, Morocco that it is nine, 90, 95% Muslim, but, there it's 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 just everybody that we talk to is very accepting and um you know it does not seem to be a country that was um you know there was a lot of tension around that now of course i was there in january things have changed a bit given what's going on in other parts of the middle east as we know right now but um but i found morocco to be uh, an incredibly welcoming and accepting place and the people as well. So food, 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 because all the colors of those spices, the lemons, the, you know, the mint tea, like, come on, what was some of the highlights for you food wise? Oh, I love the food of Morocco. I mean, I, I, I've pomegranates. always. Oh, sorry. I just pomegranates <laughs> but I love eggplant. That became one oh. of my favorite things. And they have a lot of eggplant in Morocco. And so they cook it in all different ways. So it's, it's, it's really one of my favorites and olives, olives everywhere. Just, oh, I loved it, you know, stuffed, unstuffed, black, green, all different kinds of colors. You went into the market and it was just, you know, uh, the colors were just, were just amazing. But one of the, the most interesting things that we did on our trip, and I think others do on tours is we had dinner with the family when we were in Fez. Oh. And so, um, you know, the, I think the woman of the household had some help. <laughs> she didn't do all the cooking. And I think her husband helped too. But we just had an amazing home cooked meal in oh. the, um, you know, the traditional pot that they use in, in Morocco with the tent. Now I'm blanking on the name, but, uh, tagine, a tagine. Like a tagine. Yeah. Tagine. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, they brought it out to the table and it was this amazing chicken dish with lemon and olives that was just, mm. oh, it was so good. And then one of the things, they're very big on vegetables. And so, you know, they had carrots, um, you know, about five or six different vegetable dishes. Some I just want to say that anybody watching this is looking at the desert behind me going, yeah, right. You <laughs> carrots, uh, you know, eggplant growing out there, maybe chickens somewhere, somehow. But I just want to say that there's different regions of Morocco. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I was going to say the coastal regions, I mean, there, Morocco is big, a big farming country too. When you get uh, closer to the, you know, outside the mountains and the desert, um, big farms. When we were on the bus driving through parts of Morocco, I was kind of amazed at the wheat fields and, 
and um, you know various crops. Of course, they have lots of olive trees, but it's a very uh, a verdant country in certain places. Now, the desert, not so much, but um, but well, I don't just get medjool dates, maybe. As far as dates, I know, they come oh, from dates, there. Dates, dates are everywhere yeah. too. I mean, I really enjoyed uh, the cuisine from the main courses to the fruits, the vegetables. They had some actually quite good um, desserts as well. So I, anybody who, who I think likes different types of food and is open to trying new things, I think Morocco is just a wonderful place to expand your taste buds. <laughs> Does it kind of go also towards the Mediterranean style of cuisine with it being so close to Spain. I mean, you brought up that point in your article that I think we forget about that. It's just not that far from, you know, Spain with the rock of Gibraltar. Now I want to go there because of the monkeys and because of the Bob Dylan song, but that's a whole other story. I'll travel just for Bob Dylan songs. Cause, but I do the song just so I can play it there. But you really bring up, bring it back home to us that like all of that is pretty close and we forget that, you know, it is. Like, and so you Morocco's in this far distant, but it's not. And I, I lived in South Africa and Kenya. So it actually was in the same continent, but you always kind of, Oh, it's way up there, but it really wasn't that far from Kenya. Like, well, for me now, but. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's very close to Europe. And so there's a lot of European influences that you find there. Now, I also, after being in Morocco, went to Spain a couple months later. And it's amazing oh, wow. how similarities there are um, in the culture in Spain and in um, Morocco. Because the, the Spanish were in Morocco for a while. And, of course, the Arabs, that the Moors that lived mm-hmm. in Spain until they were um, uh, basically kicked out about the 12th century. Um, so there's a lot of similar cultural uh, things in both countries. Very interesting to kind of go between one and the other. And you can really get a sense of, That's you cool. know, food and culture and architecture and everything. Now, so you like the food, obviously, right? Now, is there tea beyond the mint tea or is it always the mint tea? Um, that's primarily what it is called. You okay. can get different kinds of tea. I mean, when I was staying at the Fairmount, <laughs> they brought out a basket of tea. And so you had all kinds of choices. But if you go into the, you know, kind of a typical local restaurant, you're going to get the actual leaves of the tea, you know, in cups of hot water. So awesome. it's whatever is growing in that region. And and they talk about it as being, you know, combining with the with the mint leaves. But as I said, I don't know that it's always mint mint tea everywhere, but it's it's probably the most prevalent. It's very healthy. Oh it is. It's good for, you. I... It's good for your digestion. It's good for your body and it's and it it's a perk up. It's a right. little and... you know uh-huh. I ended up bringing some back for sure. <laughs> I know. Cause once you have that taste, it's like, okay, you know, am I having wine or tea? Well, I don't right. know. I you missed it. I missed it. Yeah. I've, I've missed the food too. I mean, there, I've had some, you know, tried some Moroccan dishes at home with, you know, mixed success, but, but uh, really did fall in love with the food for sure. Well, you have a photo of the juicers in the market with all these pomegranates and us in the Western culture, look at pomegranates and go, 
Oh, hell no. We have to take all those seeds out. What are you talking about, Willis? Like, we ain't doing all that work. I mean, yet over there, they're just like, here, you know, we know how to use our pomegranates and they're so healthy. So it seems that their food is pretty much on the healthy side in, in a lot of ways with fruits and teas and, you know, that kind of thing. That eggplant, like you're saying, um, uh-huh. there's a healthy good i mean i don't know if they're in a blue zone or not but it feels like they could be yeah i'm not sure about that either but but i would say yes very you know mediterranean and and obviously Mm -hmm. they are much much of the countries on the mediterranean and the climate is similar to you know uh, france and spain and other countries along along so they have a lot of you know they grow a lot of the same foods and fix them in, you know, different ways, but, but similar ways. So I, I think there's, I would, I consider their, their cuisine quite healthy. Mm. So now let's talk about your lodgings. Cause you did like quite a few days there. Like mm-hmm. you went over a week or how many weeks? How long oh, were you there? Three weeks, three weeks. That's what I thought. Three weeks. I don't mm-hmm. have all my notes in front of me, but three weeks. That's what I thought. I was like, Oh, she went from three days to three weeks. She expanded. She worked it. Um, she, she's like, I'm going, um, what were the lodgings like for you? Well, I, as I said, I started out in Fairmont. So that was kind of my, my luxury accommodation. So it was beautiful. I had my own like balcony overlooking, um, you know, the city and, Oh, it was, it's just a gorgeous five-star hotel. There's no doubt about it. And they had several different restaurants. I mean, it was, it was, and they had their own spa and, you know, gym. I mean, it was, it was a deluxe accommodation. Now, so I spent, um, I guess, four nights there, three days. And then from there, I arranged my own trip because I had really wanted to see Chef Schoen, which is known as the Blue City all of the walls are painted various shades of blue for the reasons for that are, you know, people disagree on exactly the reasons why it's so blue, but I was fascinated to go there. And so arranged my own transportation and found what they call a Riyadh. And a Riyadh is kind of an older traditional home with a courtyard in the middle. And it's, you know, they're popular throughout Morocco and some other Middle Eastern countries. Um, and often they have a um, what's called a hammam, which is where you can get kind of a special bath. And so I was excited to try a hammam because that was something I had never been. I've had massages, I've had scrubs, I've had various kind of spa treatments, but hammams are... Um, are different. And so that was one of the reasons I wanted to stay in the, the Riyadh, but the Riyadh was, was quite nice too. I mean, nice hotel rooms, but in the middle was kind of a courtyard and a, and a swimming pool. And then they had like, you know, what we would describe as a spa area. But so I signed up for the hammam, which is a form of a steam bath. And then mm-hmm. you have an attendant that scrubs you down <laughs> from head to toe with the, with um, like a, it's not a Brillo pad, but um, you know, with, 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 it's a very kind of cleansing process involving a couple different things like the steam, you get cold water, you get hot water and it's a very rejuvenating process. And that's one of the things that Riyadh's often have. They're opening your pores. They're taking all your junk out. 
Exactly. Cleaning it up. Yeah. A like, cleansing, a up. cleansing experience. And in um, in Morocco, a lot of places even today do not have people do not have their own, you know, baths and running water. And so there are public hammams where people go and actually scrub each other. Now I wasn't quite ready for that. I thought I would prefer a private yeah. <laughs> a mom experience. And so that's yeah. that's what I signed up for the Riyadh. But but it was a beautiful um place and really loved um everything about it from the food there to the experience. And then from there, um I joined the Gate One tour. And so we were mostly staying in kind of Western style hotels wherever we went but when we went to the desert we mm-hmm. stayed in a really interesting um kind of an african style you being having grown up in africa I might you know kind of recognize it and just um you know beams and it, it was just uh, in the desert I mean, you really felt like you were kind of out there and you know the architecture was like a kind of a sand castle and and oh, like an oasis in the middle. I mean, it was probably most of the places where you do stop once you get the, to the desert are or were oasis because they were the only places that had water and that's where people ended up. Now, these days, um, obviously, you know, there are Western style buildings and you have better access to water and, and you know, other things. But it really um, was quite a more ex- one of the most exotic places that we stayed. I would have loved to have done a, a tent stay. A lot of trips to Morocco mm-hmm. do do include sleeping in the desert, but because I was here in January, that wasn't one of the options. That was a <laughs> little cold. I was going to say because I know desert nights get chilly. You know, um, yeah, and, and you're in Texas. You know, you know, you're not quite in the desert, but you're in that hillside area where it can right. get cold at night. It really can, and. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but I love the tent styles, you know, going out there, but it also gets windy. That's part of the mm-hmm. problem with the desert is the wind. It's not necessarily yes. even the heat. It's the wind, you know, exactly. going out. Yeah. And it's a, what, in looking at the landscape behind you, which is one of my pictures, I mean, you think that's what the wind did to the yeah. sand. It sculpts it into these amazing... Um, it's beautiful. You know, and they've got little is. lizards that go in and out and do all kinds of things inside. I mean, there's uh-huh. all kinds of critters in there, which we I don't want to freak people out on, but I think it's cool. But <laughs> but going out, you went on camel. So was that your first camel ride? or have you been I had actually before? ridden the camel in Egypt, but it had been a few years ago. And the camels of Egypt are much bigger, taller <laughs> than oh, actually... That's interesting. I know. I didn't. I didn't realize that either. Yeah. We did learn about you know the various size of the camels and why. But so our our camels were shorter. But um, but that was still a fascinating experience. We we um, it was part of the experience that we got into like uh, basically sand buggies and then rode out into the desert and to this camel ranch, I guess you would call it, and that's where we. Uh, met up with, um, you know, kind of our camel handlers and got on the camels and then rode up to, uh, you know, into the landscape that's behind you and for the, for the sunset. Mm. So well, that, that would... color, you got the colors, which was like, you know, cause it, it could be, you know, your time of day is important for the desert. Seriously. Uh-huh. Right. So they you timed know? it so that we would, we would be kind of up on, 
you know, one of the sand dunes and time to watch the sunset, which was quite spectacular. But we did start out um, being kind of hot. <laughs> and wow. then by the time we, we got up there in the sunset, it was really cold because in some ways you were kind of like, wow, I want to spend more time in the desert. Once the sun went down in January, it is really cold. So you're like, uh, I want to go back to my Western lodgings now. <laughs> Right. Well, that was kind of the way, the way it turned out. So as I said, we were, by the time it was time to return, I think we were as happy as the camels to go back to the camel ranch and camels are like, I I want my food now. That's enough. I want to, I want to ask about, um, the tips for people planning a trip to Morocco. Um, Because you worked on your own thing. I know as as travel writers, you know, we work with a lot of CVBs, destinations, um, Uh and work on itineraries with them. But it's different for those going out on their own. Would you say go with a an excursion company, travel guides or go for it on on your own? If it's I mean, especially if anyone is if if this is your first time traveling overseas, you may want to go with an excursion company. Maybe what do you think? Yeah, I think Morocco is because of the language issues. I mean, a lot of people do speak English, but it's, um, you know, I think particularly your first time, I would definitely recommend um, a tour guide. It's also getting from place to place can be complicated. I did ride the train on my own, but I was, I remember trying to get my ticket out of the booth and I finally just gave up and went, stood in line, which was kind of long to actually talk to somebody who I thought spoke would speak English, who could help me get, make sure that I got on the right train. So it turns out I did, and it was all fine. I think I could go back and be just fine on my own, but you know, it's, it's a little more, well, I, I would say more than a little more comfortable to have someone else taking care of the arrangements um, Morocco in some ways is very modern in other ways it is not. And so it's also, um, you know, a country that uh, where people are doing well and people are not doing so well. And so there are lots of street vendors. I did not find them to be harassing, but I think some people do. And particularly, I think maybe younger women in particular may have you know, be more likely to be hassled in the markets where there's a lot of activity going on. So it's also about our attitude, how we go in. Right. And I mean, I didn't, I was never worried or felt unsafe. Um, But I think that it's a matter of comfort and that probably the first time having, um, being with a group and having a guide making, you know, some of the decisions about where to stay and what to do, when and all of those kinds of things is just would just make it easier i think i think also I, for single women traveling that's a good point of you know um so many people retire now and they're like okay we're going to hit our bucket list and if you didn't have time to travel internationally outside of major city easy air flight in and out kind of thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. you could have traveled for business and hit a few highlights but not really traveled you know what i mean for the travel uh-huh. experience uh-huh. i think sometimes getting the guides can help you and once you to get your travel feet going it's like a new it's like almost having a new job uh-huh. <laughs> a new career because right. travel travel is it is tiring and i'm not discouraging people i'm just saying you want to have the best experience i think the first 
few times you go internationally, I think go with a group or go mm-hmm. with a tour guide help or somebody to guide you through the process so that you, especially if you're going to places like Morocco, even Egypt, you know, and Egypt, you know, I'm sure is not that remote, but it's, you know, I, I'm, I just think you should have some help along the way for your first few times until you get your, get your sea legs, you know, your travel legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that, that Morocco is, is pretty exotic in comparison. And it doesn't matter what age, by the way, I was talking <laughs> about people retiring. They've got a lot more experience, but I mean, the first time, and especially because we have so many women travelers now that are going solo. Mm-hmm. Too, right. And I, I was solo in a group. So, um, yeah, I, I did was totally solo when I went to uh chef showing, but, um, you know, the other times I was traveling with other people that, you know, we could share the experience with as well as, you know, just get additional information. Um, and, and I think our guide, for example, on the, the gate one tour, uh, grew up in Morocco. He had studied in Paris, a very interesting man who gave us a lot more insight into the country. And it's history, then maybe we would have gotten on our own, for example. So I think that a good tour guide can really enhance your experience, um, you know, in a place where that's, you know, Morocco is pretty exotic for a lot of American travelers. So so, um, it's not, we don't get a lot of Moroccan history in our history books. So I think it was Mohammed was was wonderful resource for us to learn more about Morocco. And you're hearing it from a local, you know, mm-hmm. and um, who knows, you know, little things that you just you you're not going to always get on Google. It, like Google's good, but like not for everything. I'm mm-hmm. just saying, there's nothing like the in person real experience. Barbara, for you, I want to kind of touch on your travel writing because I know you've traveled the world, right? But you started out in in actual journalism. So as a travel writer, travel journalist, there is a difference between a travel writer blogger versus a journalist kind of thing. But yet I think they're all connected, but a Mm -hmm. journalist uh, having that journalistic background kind of makes you get to the heart of the story quicker. Like you're not allowed to have all these extra frills. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Just the facts, (laughs) ma'am. You know, Right. Yes, that was my background is is just the facts, ma'am. But I do find that there is a lot more freedom in travel mm-hmm. writing to, um, you know, to just talk about more about what you're seeing. Now, again, as, you know, traditional journalists and travel writers, we always have a, a space limit. There's you can't tell everything you did. So you have to make decisions about and prioritize the information that you have so that you're presenting it in a way that's interesting and educating um, to your readers. So um, I do think that, that my background probably, you know, imposes some, a bit of a dis- more discipline than maybe somebody who hasn't had to write on deadline, who hasn't had to write, you know, for about a you know, specific to fit a specific hole in the newspaper or magazine, for example. But, but um, I think in, in some ways, travel writing is a little more free you're freer yeah. to you know to write about the people and you weren't play. but you weren't but travel writing traditionally was more journalistic like 
don't put your feelings in. We don't want to know that you lost your scarf in this town or whatever. <laughs> we you know. And yet when you talk to people about travel, they want to hear those. They want the dirty stories. They want to know what went wrong. Have you found that too? People just actually want to know like, well, we broke down and this really sucked. Uh, we didn't get to go to the bathroom for 10 hours because we were broke down here. They actually want those stories. It's right. weird, isn't it? It's kind of that balance. <laughs> it is. And and it's funny being, you know, having been in those situations too, I had a, a, an amazing trip to Europe. We ended up then going, flying from Greece to to Cairo and decided to go from there. This was a few years ago <laughs> and went from there to to Israel. And we ended up... Um, um, in a taxi cab going across the Sinai and, and when I was with one of my sisters and, wow. you know, that was the most, I mean, Europe and everything else we did was pretty normal, but that taxi ride across the Sinai <laughs> is something I will never forget. And it's, it's one of my favorite travel stories to share with people because it's just, you know, you go to Paris and everything is fine, but it's, it's those, as you said, the, the uh, the things that happen when you're <laughs> <laughs> and it's that not funny most... when you're going through it it's not funny there's no fear. there's interesting language on all levels and um you get out of it but that's that's the cocktail story isn't it it's it, like... it is that's what i there were times when i thought we would be ending up spending our the night in the desert and maybe no one would ever see us again but that wasn't <laughs> how the story ended, but it's, um, it's a great travel tale. So I think you enjoy and remember those kinds of experiences more you know, than cocktail parties in South Africa. They would call all of us travelers when because it would be, you'd have your drink in hand going, well, when we were here and when we did this, <laughs> we, you know what I mean? That That's what this nickname of when we, um, mm -hmm. came up above. I, I was a kid at that point, not drinking the cocktails, but I would refill the cocktails for the adults and had my own cocktail. But anyway, <laughs> that's what happened in those cultures, but in times. But I, you know, um, I find it fascinating going from journalism to travel writing. How many countries do you think you've been to now? You know, I was afraid you were going to ask that and I was going to add it up, but I, <laughs> I have just ballpark. Well, I love that you don't add it up either because it's almost like we, I mean, we travel full time doing all the parks and I can, I think we did 1500 and COVID don't ask me now because eventually it's like all these little badges, which I think are great. But when I think when you get to just, you're really living it, you're really living. It. Uh -huh. like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say I'm probably in the 30 to 40. Uh, country. That's amazing though. I mean, how many people get to five? You know, mm -hmm. and we want people to go beyond that because it's truly living. So beyond that fear zone of crazy taxi rides and things like that, right? Um, uh -huh. we did, we've gone full circle on that. That's pretty good. Um, right. Yeah, I, I feel very fortunate to have gotten to travel to as many countries as I have. And hopefully I've got quite a few more ahead of me. <laughs> what Always. is it that keeps you going with it? What is it? The adventure? Is there... The hotels, is it the, what is it? The camel rides that gets you going? What is it? <laughs> it's always something different. I think that's, you know, it's everywhere I've been, there's always something different. I, I remember going to Seoul, South Korea. You know, that was totally a place that I had 
you know, the experience was, was totally unique. And so it's kind of, I think that wherever you go, there is always something different about that location. And that's what, that's what drives you to the next place. Okay. I've been to China, but I haven't been to, I haven't been to New Zealand. That's still on my list. I've been to Australia, but not New Zealand, but, but there are things that are unique to New Zealand that, that you can't see in, in Australia. So you want Everybody, to. Yeah. Every place is different. Every country, every neighborhood, even in America mm-hmm. is different. And right. there's always a story. Yes. There's, there's definitely always a story. And many times there's more stories than you can tell. <laughs> that, that's the problem. I have a hard time, you know, um, just before recording this with you, I was talking to our friend Victoria Chick and she's an artist and we were doing a thing on cemeteries uh-huh. and I, I just was like, every gravestone is a rabbit hole for me. And that sounds terrible, but it is because it's someone's life. Mm-hmm. And now I want to know who this is. Now I'm going to have to do research. Now here comes the Google. Here's the find a grave. And next thing I know, I've totally forgotten that I was supposed to do something else on a deadline because I want to know. Like, right. I want to know. And that is the problem we have as travelers uh-huh. and writers is seeking and sharing these stories and editing them. And so I, I love that you have the journalism background to help you on this. Everyone, you can go to barbararedding.com to keep up with Barbara's adventures. She's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, also uh, writes for uh, Travel Weekly and travelweekly.com. Check that out. Also the Food Wine Travel Magazine for the International Food Wine Travel Writers Association, who we call IFTWA. You can go to ifwtwa.org. And I mean, I've known your name for a long time, and I think it's really uh, watching all the social media things on IFTWA, uh, hashtag, hashtag IFWTWA. And I've always seen Barbara Redding, Barbara Redding. And I'm like, she's getting, she gets around. You go, girl. Um, so how long have you actually been a member? Because I just have known your name for like years. Or um, like, I guess it's been it about three or four years. I have actually you know, had been a travel writer, but never. I always had a day job. <laughs> And so travel writing was, was kind of a part-time gig for me, but during, I retired from my uh, full-time job and started doing more travel writing and then the pandemic hit and a friend of mine told me about IFTWA and so I decided to join. And so we were doing, at that time, no one was traveling. So we were basically writing about previous trips for the magazine and different publications. And so it was an opportunity to get to know people in IFTWA and to, you know, gave me another outlet for, you know, the things that I was writing and a network of some pretty interesting people. I, I've always amazed when I go on IFTWA trips or travel with other groups, other people on press trips, how interesting the lives of people who are travel writers really is. I think my, my friends think I've gone a lot of places, but I come back from my trips and say, Hey, I just met somebody who's been to 60 countries. <laughs> I'm jealous. I want to yes. get all of them. And I want those experiences plus my own. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, I always talk to travel writers. I'm like, I'm so jealous. I'm jealous of you in Morocco, but I, it's not a, it's not a green with envy, evil jealousy. It's just like, Dang, the bucket list must be filled. <laughs> you must do the <laughs> wish list or whatever you want to call it, right? You've got to right. keep going for it. So where's your next destination on a wish list? And when's the, where's the next real destination that you're going to? 
Boy, I'm still kind of in the work working on that. I want to, I have not done that much travel in Eastern Europe. And so I would like to go to Hungary, Poland, um, the Baltics. Um, so I think those are kind of at the top of, of my list. Scandinavia is another area that I'm really interested in. My I have relatives in Norway. And so my one of my sisters has been to visit them and, and I thought, gosh, I need to I need yeah. to do that. So there are other places in the world I would like to go. And so I'm I'm kind of working on my twenty twenty four itinerary as we speak. Well, I love that you bring that up because I think there's so much family history travel that's happening now that we didn't really realize about like five years ago, even mm-hmm. five, ten mm-hmm. years ago. So many people are traveling to where their ancestors come from because we're all spread around the world. We're all mm-hmm. over the place now. Mm-hmm. So it's to go back in history and find who we are in a way and just even be in the same footstep as someone is amazing. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. One of my other relatives was from Ireland and having been able to go to Ireland uh, several years ago and to some of the places where the family uh, lived was, you know, w- was fascinating. I think it's that's- meaningful. There's mm-hmm. a feeling to it, you know, and some places you go to, you just get a weird feeling anyway. And you always go, what was that? Like, there's this vibe you get. And then one day later, you'll like, not one day later, but like years later, you'll be finding something you like, my relatives were there. That's weird. It's weird. It's (laughs) happened to us. It's weird. It's trippy Uh weird, but it's good stuff, you know? But hey, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show. I haven't seen you around social media. It's so good to finally meet you. And I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, everyone follow Barbara Redding on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and um, BarbaraRedding.com. And again, her article is up on BlendRadioAndTV.com and in the show notes. So stay tuned for that. And um, it will be in our magazine, our big weekly blend magazine, too. So I think we're going to have to do a special, like, North Africa Middle East magazine because we have so much content on uh-huh. this now. I yeah. think we're going to have to it's do an interesting, special. It's an interesting part of the world. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. I've really enjoyed talking to you about about Morocco and, and some of our shared life experiences as travelers, too. Well, cheers. Here's to mint tea. You can't see my cup, but yeah, cheers to tea. <laughs> I think I'm going to have some right after this, too. Oh, so, I, I have a feeling yours is going to be better than mine. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you for listening to Big Blend Radio's Food, Wine, and Travel Show, featuring members of the International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association. We encourage you to visit their website. We say IFTWA, which is I-F-W-T-W-A dot org. You can also follow us at BigBlendRadio.com. Happy travels, everyone. <laughs>